You know, Joe, this time of year, you start to see the leaves turning, the air is cooling, it's getting crisp, and you, in your neighborhood, you start to see Halloween decorations going up, people are having delicious donuts and cider. Teenagers are getting killed by massive <laughs> serial killers. Exactly, especially babysitters or, or, or camp counselors. But in college football, you start to see the big boys play the big boys more. And you start to see the separating of the contenders from the pretenders. And we as a podcast divided are just now hitting our stride. We have two top 25 matchups. And we'll first be starting with the Spartans and the Buckeyes on the other side. Like you mentioned, the big boys separating themselves from the pretenders. And I feel like that's what happened Saturday night. And the score between Michigan State and Ohio State was pretty much what I expected. Mm -hmm. It's just that the teams got to that score in a much more frustrating fashion <laughs> for Michigan State fans. It will... Um you know, last week when we did our predictions, I said two or three score, and I guess it was technically four. Yeah. But if you would have had that field goal, it would have been exactly a three-point separation. And, and I have some issues with that field goal as well, but we'll get into it. I I think there are some positive takeaways for Michigan State. It's not easy to say that after a 24-point loss where scoreboard-wise, the game was pretty much out of hand by halftime. But Michigan State needed to play a perfect game if they wanted a shot to win, and they didn't do that. They made a lot of mistakes, and they made those mistakes early and often. I mean, just shooting yourself in the foot twice in a row on offense after four. So the first drive of the game, Ohio State three and out, and they lost 16 yards. They're punting on fourth and 26 from their own end zone, and – Second play of the game, Brian Lewerke completes a pass to Cody White, and then he fumbles it. If he just if he doesn't fumble it right there, Michigan State's got the ball at midfield. If you punt from there, then Ohio State's backed up again. Yeah, at least at 25 and probably deeper. Yeah, defense forces another three and now Ohio State misses a field goal. But then two plays later, again, a mishandled pitch on the option fumble, and Ohio State gets three points out of it. Three points in the long run wasn't going to make the difference. But when you cripple yourself offensively and have to force the defense to do three straight three and outs like that, and they still come away with three points on the board from Ohio State, mentality-wise, you're setting yourself up for a bad night. Then, you know, you change one thing, you change everything. That's what Back to the Future started us. Right. Um, <laughs> there's something to be said for uh, momentum. And if you keep if Ohio State keeps running into three and outs, and Michigan State is putting up points, it changes the the game. And Ohio State might still get that big boost in the second quarter, but you don't know yeah. for sure. 
Ohio State has far superior athletes. I don't know if Michigan State's best players can hang with Ohio State's first and second string players. Yeah. If I'm being honest. Well, uh, but I, I'll get to this later. I'll okay. let you go. I was hearing all week about how Ohio State and Justin Fields haven't been punched in the mouth yet. And how There's still how, some out there saying that, by right. the way. And how would they respond if they got <laughs> punched in the mouth? Michigan State, maybe they didn't land a full blow, but they got as close to the mouth as anybody else did. The defense had a good first quarter, a very they good did. first quarter. The defense had a couple sacks on the first couple drives, and they, I believe Ohio State had 16 rushing yards. Their offense the looked mortal. Yeah. <laughs> For a quarter, they looked... Mortal. The second quarter, it was like once the dam cracked, it broke all together. We saw chunk plays, missed tackles galore. It was just a free-for-all of Justin Fields, Benjamin Victor, J.K. Dobbins, who's a beast. Like, J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor are the clear-cut number one and number one A running backs in the league. And then there's a pretty far drop before you start talking <laughs> yeah. about anybody else. Yeah, that's for sure. Jonathan Taylor deserves a lot of talk for the number one running back, but J.K. Dobbins deserves a good chunk of time. Not to get well. off topic, but about Jonathan Taylor, someone put his stats through X amount of games. I think they play, they've had a bye week, so they played five, yeah. I believe. And then Ron Dane, the year he won the Heisman, his first five games. <laughs> and not only is... Jonathan Taylor slightly better in each rushing category, but he also can catch the ball out of the backfield. Yeah. yeah. But uh, J.K. Dobbins is right there, too. But Michigan State, they got down 10 nothing after the long touchdown by Benjamin Victor early in the second quarter, and the offense responded. They had a, two straight long drives, one ending with a touchdown to Daryl Stewart and one ending with a field goal. I think the biggest play of the game – was on the drive that ended with a field goal when it was 17-7 to seven at this point. Third and four, Lewerke, who had a really good game altogether. That was a really good drive from Lewerke. Yeah. He just missed Cody White. And Cody White had nobody around him. Was that – that wasn't the – That was right before halftime. Oh, okay. I was – okay, if we could go back a little – I have two things I want go to ahead, hit yeah, just yeah. to keep it chronological. One – I think my takeaway from the first quarter is, one, it was sloppy and weird. It was. And uh, Ace from MGO Blog had a great line about Michigan State's ability to turn any opponent into Michigan State is astonishing. And you could take that as a backhanded compliment. But at the same time, you kind of were I think a lot of people watching the game were like, ooh, Michigan State might have a chance because there were shades of the 2015. Yep. Yeah, where it was a sloppy game, but Michigan State won. And then yeah. uh, the Michigan State scoring drive, I thought that was a huge response from Lewerke. That I was so excited from Lewerke and the whole offense as well. It just kept hope alive if you're a Michigan State it fan. Did. And it was uh, Michigan's uh, John Neal, who I think is the best writer in Detroit, pointed out that it was Michigan State's first touchdown against Ohio State since 2016. 2016. LJ Scott. Nine plus quarters without one. And that was also kind of surprising because if I was going to pick a Michigan State team that scored against Ohio State, <laughs> I don't know if that would have been the one that I would have came right. to mind. <laughs> they definitely had a best, better teams, uh, especially in 2017 when they won double digits. Right. And I think that 2017 team and this team are a little comparable 
but um, that's that's a different conversation. But in the um, second quarter, Ohio State's actually outscored their opponents, I think, by three digits. Like Ohio it, State in, in the second quarter alone put up more yards on Michigan State than three other games. That Michigan State's had three games where they held but opponents. Indiana. Well, how many? So Michigan State's played six teams. So probably every yeah. team but Indiana and I know they held Tulsa, I want to say Arizona State and probably Western Michigan. I don't know the teams, I just know Yeah, right, right, they've right. They've held three teams below 300 yards. I think Northwestern did get up over 300 yards cuz those yards were pretty comparable. Oh yeah, yeah that would probably ago. be the other team. Guys, but in, in the end, when you look at the football game, we've got to play at our best, which I don't think that we did. Made some plays. We also had some missed opportunities and some mistakes. And then you also have to give them credit for the way that they play. I mean, they're a very explosive team. Um, Justin Fields, uh, you know, we got people covered and we can't quite get to him. And he snakes out of there and runs for 20 yards or 10 yards or five yards, whatever he needs to do. Uh, but he has some explosive plays, and, uh, and then Dobbins got loose on us. The better the running game was for Michigan State, the more pop they had. I know that they only had 67 rushing yards as a team, and it kind of faded. But There, there were a lot of sacks. There were times, even if you look at non-net, it wasn't mm-hmm. that great. No. It was pretty much Collins and everyone else was struggling. But it seemed as the game went on, the running game wasn't as effective. But when you saw a spark from Michigan State's offense was when they were getting runs off. Yeah. When they weren't just putting the running back right into the middle of the defense, which they did a little too often. But, like I said, once there was a crack in the dam, it all just kind of broke in the second quarter. 24 of Ohio State's 34 points came in that quarter alone. And, again, almost 300 total yards from Ohio State in that quarter. Almost uh, both teams, almost all of their points Yeah, and, came and in that, that was where Michigan State also had their – their only points of the game were in the second quarter. But that's, to me, the biggest play. If Brian Lewerke hits Cody White there and they score a touchdown, it's 17-14. And that's a, little, that's a lot different. Say Ohio State still scores the last um, 10 points of the half. 27-14 and you get the ball to start, it changes the mindset a lot. Mm-hmm. And again, I, the offense moved the ball really well on the first drive of the third quarter. But I have a real issue with them even kicking a field goal there. Obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, and they missed the field goal. But when you're down 17 against that Ohio State team, I really just wish they would have gone for it. I believe it was fourth down and goal from the five or fourth and five from the six, something like that. And they missed the field goal which I don't know what's going on with Matt Coughlin. I think he's going full Dan Conn right now because um, I think that's seven misses or six misses since the Arizona State game. I kind of put the field, missed field goals in the, the – It was field, a weird spot as well. Field goals and the turnovers together. Michigan – we, we talked about I, – I was actually re-listening to our preview of this game – and we talked about how you need to not turn the ball over and you need the yeah. first forced turnovers from Ohio State. Well, Michigan State had three turnovers. They had another missed field goal, which, as you said, has been a problem this year, which is basically like a lost on downs. Yeah. Um, there, someone pointed out on Twitter that both uh, field goals that Michigan State kicked 
had bad field goal protection. Yep. The first one should have been blocked, and they were lucky it wasn't. And the second one would have been blocked if it had been accurate. Right. The analyst, the analysis of that play was that uh, the right tackle was stepping down but was late and off balance. And Ohio State was occupying the tight end and shooting the gap between them, mm-hmm. which – as big of a football fan as I am, that's a little bit over my head, but I, I get what they're saying. I understand it. I just might not be able to totally explain it. To, <laughs> uh, But uh, D'Antonio looked mad at, after playing. You wouldn't be surprised if he was mad about the protection or a possible hold or both. Um, there was – I mean, you're playing at Ohio State, so you kind of have to take this into consideration. Yes. There was a pretty bad missed – Pass interference, Pass interference on the play right before, which was third and four or third and five. Bo used to have a great uh, quote about that, about playing in South Bend and playing in Columbus. He used to say, leave no doubt. If it's right. close, if you put it in the ref's hand, you'll probably right. end up unhappy. Exactly. And to your point, you, D'Antonio usually has like a fake field goal uh, tucked away for a moment like that. And you, you kind of had a feeling before that play it might be a great time to play it, and yeah. he didn't. And then I immediately see someone tweet that out, and it's like that's exactly what I was thinking. And it would have been a great time. Hindsight then, being twenty twenty, you missed it anyway. After that play, I thought the offense went way too conservative. Mm. I just saw a complete lack of urgency on the offense. Like for example, Ohio State's first drive of the second half, they threw an interception. Justin Fields' first college interception. And they run the running back right to the middle. It's a two-yard gain. And then on second and eight, with the game hanging in the balance after a potential uh, momentum-swinging play, they pull out the wildcat. (laughs) Every single football coach, from Bill Belichick down to the worst peewee coach there is, has known how to stop the wildcat for the last 11 seasons. (laughs) And they pulled it out when their senior quarterback is having a good game and they need to score on every single drive, they gave up. Whenever I see the Wildcat, I get nostalgic for things like MySpace. <laughs> Look, I love the Wildcat for uh, bringing the Dolphins to the playoffs in 2008 and beating the Patriots in Foxborough, but every, I believe there have been like two successful Wildcat plays in all of football since 2008. <laughs> You know, things from the Bush administration, like the Pistons being good and (laughs) (laughs) the the Big East football. um. (laughs) But to me, I just think this team, Michigan State, should be able to compete with anyone in the Big Ten that's not Ohio State. Ohio State is just on a different level overall, which should upset a lot of Michigan State fans. Because for a while, Michigan State was on equal footing with Ohio State. And now they're back to being second tier. Like, they're basically Iowa now. Like, hey, you know, you'll win seven to eight, nine games every year. Occasionally, you'll have like an 11 or 12 win outburst and play for a championship. But no, you'll usually be in that seven to 10 win area, which for some people is fine. Like, uh, that's what the expectation is. Into- which for some people is fine. Like, uh, that's what the expectations Going into are. the season, Michigan State was a hard team to get a pulse of it was. Uh, for, for me. And one of the hardest in the Big Ten. I just saw ceiling seven wins. Or ceiling ten wins. Okay, I was I was gonna say seven. Basement seven wins. And I 
And I still kind of feel that way. This this could still be a 10-win team. And I Yeah, yeah, it could. I think it and could and be. when we preview next week's games, I actually have some more thoughts about that if you want to if you want to wait until yeah. then to get to there. Um well, look, Ohio State it's just it's a totally different animal than anybody any Big 10 team is going to see. Really in this region, I don't see any team that's close to what Ohio State is. Sam Webb on Twitter said you know, Ohio State, this is the best they've been in a while. I was saying before this week that it's the best they've been since the second half of 2014. Yep. He was shocked. He picked Ohio State to beat Michigan State, but not like this. I kind of saw it coming. You know, there's a lot of things that surprise me. I'm not saying I see everything coming, but I've, I feel like I've had a read on Ohio State since the season started. Even when people said week one, the game looked sloppier than they, they thought I, it would. First, expected, the first half, like, it was 28 to nothing, and then they were trying yep. things. I expected it to be more like the 2017 Michigan State-Ohio State game where just right from the get-go, Ohio State, it was pretty clear was not going to lose that game. And yeah, the first, the, the first quarter was, uh, yeah. was, uh, was, was not only sloppy so, but weird from both teams. Right, and I don't think it was like Ohio State being sloppy on offense to start. I think it was just well, Michigan State some is more where the sloppy right, yeah. the turnovers, and then it, it took them some time to adjust to a defense like Michigan State's, and they did it amazingly. Ryan Day is a hell of a coach. It helps to have those the kind of athletes that Ohio State has right. for sure. But he's remind he's the Big Ten's Lincoln Riley, where he took over is. from a Hall of Fame coach and. They might actually look even better. Not to say that he's better than right. Urban Meyer. Not to say that Lincoln Riley's better mm-hmm. than Bob Stoops because they don't. You you can't have that conversation right. for another ten years. But, but if you go back to last year when Day Day did coach the first three games and he was primarily working with Dwayne Haskins, I think he looks better this year though. I, yeah, yeah. They, I also they, like that he's adjusting his scheme to which quarterback he has. He's yes. not just having a, an attack in place and asking the players to adjust to he it. He has a stupid face, but he has a smart brain. He does. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, I'll just pull out Lewerke's stats. He was 20 for 38, uh, 218 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. And it was kind of a, a tipped interception. I don't fault him too much for I it. I give him more uh, – if I recall, I think the fumble was on him, but the pick wasn't. The the pitched fumble? Yeah. Uh, pitches are kind of hard to get a gauge on. Would you would, would you have given it to who he Collins. pitched? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Collins kind of bobbled it, but it was kind of like a last-second pitch. Mm. But his numbers were pretty comparable to Fields, albeit Fields didn't have to throw it that much after the first half. Fields was 17 for 25, 206, and two touchdowns and a pick. Fields was a good uh, rusher, too. Yeah, 61 yards on 11 carries and a touchdown. That's I believe that's factoring in all the, the three sacks he took as well. Yeah, him and Collins for State actually had almost even rushing yards, yep. <laughs> yard for a temp. Uh, they're very comparable. Um, do you think Collins should have gotten more carries before the game was slipping away? I actually think they should have been throwing the ball more. So well, they didn't I, I really, think he got a decent amount. They didn't of really rush it that many times, though. Um, maybe you give some of those Williams and White. And- they were getting success running Lewerke to the outside. Like, 
Uh, it was sort of a play action, but a run all the way, you know, the naked bootleg. I think they picked up two first downs off of that in the second quarter with just Lewerke on the bootleg running it. I think this was going to be a game where you needed to run Lewerke more. Frankly, I have some issues with how long the starters were out there once the game was decided because you got to play Wisconsin next week. Yeah. And I know you don't want to be running away with your tail between your legs, but it pained me to see Lewerke taking a sack when you're down 34 to 10. That doesn't help you at all. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I whether you lose forty four to ten or thirty four to ten, does it really doesn't matter? matter. No. You know, so I mean, if you're just looking at cosmetics, you know, it doesn't matter how much you get blown out. And it might be good down the road to get the backups and young players right. sometime. And look again, Michigan State's just not a program that is on the same level as Ohio State anymore. So. I think it's best that going forward, Michigan State fans just adjust expectations. Because, look, since Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State got to the point where they were consistently competing for a Big Ten championship, anything less than that has been a disappointment. And I think now it has to be adjusted to where you can be okay with, you know, nine or ten wins. So, because, like three years, two years ago, when Michigan State was ten and three, it was different because they had a mostly freshman and sophomore players, and they were coming off a three and nine season. And you thought, with that base of players, you could build it to be a Big Ten contender in two thousand eighteen and two thousand nineteen, and it just hasn't developed into that. So, those that are calling for D'Antonio's head. If that's not the level they're at, are they being unreasonable or are they right? A little bit of both. We've talked off air about how Lloyd Carr looked in his last couple of years on the sideline, how Ohio State might have lucked out by ditching Trestle before the 2011 yeah, season. Just because once coaches get a certain age, you start to see their uh, – Productivity go down. Saban being the exception, right? Saban being the exception. But Paterno, Bowden, Carr, and that's exactly what I don't want D'Antonio to become. I don't want it to be a Joe Paterno situation from a football standpoint. Um, Obviously, from an off the field standpoint, either. But (laughs) I don't want him being in the press box because he's too old to be on the sideline, or you know, he's. I don't want him to have that lifetime contract. You know, right. But you can't you can't fire him, but he needs to start thinking about the end. Pressure being put on him? Yeah. yeah how did you think Salem did uh, play calling? Play calling, I thought, for the most part, was good. I really think... Too many runs up the middle and a bad few, A few cap. too many runs up the middle, and then the one wildcat play just drove me insane. But again, I think the plays that are being drawn up... You said execution wise are working. There's just like a an overthrow here or a misstep here, or like a holding call here. How did you said you felt like there should have been more urgency? Was that on yeah. Salem too? I don't know. Okay, but it was on the staff. It's on the staff as well. Okay. Okay. Honestly, I wish D'Antonio had done the whole staff shakeup after the 2016 season, but I feel like had he done the staff shakeup after the 2016 season. Everyone, it just would have made everybody more angry because it was already three and nine season. You're losing all these players to transfers, and um, 
expulsion, expulsions, is that the word? Yeah. Expelling. You know, if you had kept Dave Warner on the staff at that point, people would have. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it would have just been all the pitchforks and flames out for Mark D'Antonio. I think doing it after the 2018 season, because the 2017 season, you know, hey, we won 10 games. We, we're not going to make any changes. Why would we do that? Even though, you know, Urban Meyer fired somebody after they made the playoff and got shut out. Yeah. Like, that's where you should be. I believe it was Ed. Was it Ed Warner? It, it was. He didn't like him as a play caller. Yeah. And, and I think in some ways he – Ohio State has a high a high standard for recruiting. Yeah. And he almost wants exclusively five and four stars. And, and that's, that's another area where you kind of start to see – the staff at Michigan State not be successful in anymore. They're not. They they have been built on the recruits like Kirk Cousins and Darquez Denard and Le'Veon Bell, but they also have the Malik McDowells and Will Goldstins and B.J. Cunningham's mixed in there. They're not getting those higher types of recruits that they can still mix in there, and that's a problem. When you, it's one thing to get a few. And it's a whole other thing to get absolutely zero. And they're just getting beat on the recruiting trail. There's been some off-the-field issues at Michigan State. I know after the Fab Five stuff came out, Amaker and maybe Ellerby, I don't remember a timeline, there were still officials sniffing around there, mm-hmm. getting reports ready. And you might not have a program that breaks the rules, but maybe bends the rules. Right. And now you can't give a recruit $20 for dinner, whereas you could before. Right. I have, without being close to the situation, I have a hunch that it's made D'Antonio's life harder, whether I don't want to get into whether he right, was right. guilty of anything or not, but I don't know if there's still people around there doing reports. I don't follow the situation, but I know Amaker definitely, Definitely struggled with that because he couldn't even <laughs> give a wink and a nod, you know. Right. Is that hurting them or is it the rise of Cincinnati and Kentucky or just Rutgers getting lucky on some recruits? Or because I know like they've lost some recruits to Cincinnati them, yeah. and Kentucky and Rutgers, and they have. And I think there is some fishiness because, uh, the guy who got all their big recruits was let go of for um, who was some, that? Uh, Curtis, that? Curtis Blackwell. Oh, okay. Yeah, at Michigan State. Oh, okay, okay. I um, thought you were talking about somewhere else. And now he's kind of lobbying some allegations against Michigan. But State do you think that's a factor? I don't think it's the biggest factor, but I, I don't think it's nothing. Okay. And I think Mark D'Antonio was a little cautious after on paper his best recruiting class 2016 led to a three and nine season and half I think eight of those players are still on the roster you know that was the recruiting class that brought in Donnie Corley and Demetri Vance and Justin Lane and uh, Tristan Jackson Messiah DeWeaver and you think he may have been trying to go back to what works right okay. also in that class was Joe Bocci and Mike Ponashuk and so players um, that are in production right and Justin Lane, who is in the NFL now. So there's a whole lot of issues, but I just think overall, for the remainder of his tenure, Michigan State just has to adjust their expectations, and I'll just leave it at that. 
believe that Saturday is the defining moment of the Harbaugh era. Wow. Think about it. Do you think they win? I don't know if they're going to win or not, but I I will tell you, if they do, there's at least hope. If they don't... They're in trouble. Even you and I can't defend them. Correct. It's hard to defend them. 100%. I think it's it's indefendable if they lose this weekend. So coming into this this week's game, Joe Klatt said was a game that will define the Harbaugh era. And he might have had a reason to say that and draw might interest a, in the game. Might be a bit dramatic. He, he, it's very dramatic. <laughs> but, you know, he had an interest in it. He was calling the game. Fox is trying to put their signature games on at noon since all the other stations would be at 3 ABC, yeah. ESPN. Like, they love the 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock one. CBS, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sometimes they go night, but a lot of times they have theirs at 3.30. But uh, Disney usually has their big game on ABC, at, and then they have their second big game on ESPN at the same time, NBC, if Notre Dame has a big game. But anyways, <laughs> but I think a way to sum up the game was uh, Johnny Bacon on Twitter said that the Wolverine offense should take the defense out to dinner and let them get whatever they want, and I totally agree with that. Now, last week with Indiana, you said you wanted to start with the good news, so you started with Michigan State's offense. Yeah. I got some bad news. I'm starting with Michigan's offense this week. (laughs) I like to go bad news first. Well, somewhat. I think Charbonnet is playing well. It's kind of interesting because you think he's having a good game and he passes the eye test. Then you check the stats, and he always seems to have less than four yards per carry. And And I would compare him, and I never thought I'd compare him to this player, but I'd compare him to Davion Smith. Because he's a workhorse, he makes the right moves, he always he's a great blocker, and he earns every yard. The offense actually played pretty well in this game, at least as a unit, but there's been times this year they haven't made his life easy. Yeah. So to get those four yards, <laughs> he has to work for every inch. Uh, individually, well, I will give uh, Michigan offensive line credit, because, because I'm considering the competition, too. I actually like Iowa's defensive line. Yeah. Uh, as a unit, they played pretty well. But Owainu had a tough game. And Michael Spath from WTKA had this, said this, and I want to give him credit for it. But he's advocating for Runyon to move uh, to the inside and to bench Owainu. And Owainu last year was a third-team All-Big Ten uh, offensive linesman. Offensive lineman. Uh, he definitely wasn't Michigan's best offensive lineman, but he had a good year. Not great, but good. But this year he's struggling. And that happens sometimes. You know, players seem like they're on the upswing, but, you know, they're just college kids. But yeah, the offense. Yeah, it can know, be hard. To, <laughs> it can be hard to individually criticize yeah. a player. But I mean, if we're being honest, some of the early struggles. Uh, Michigan's offensive line have been corrected or semi-corrected with him being the outlier. I believe for both teams, there were no points for the last, what, 50 minutes of the game? Yes. And I think if Michigan had scored a couple more times or made their field goal. I know they missed two field goals. Yeah. they. I think Michigan fans would have been happier. It would have right. looked like a blowout. 16-3 to three looks great. And, the mm-hmm. offense started off strong in the first quarter and a bit into the second. Overall, with the first half, I was mostly happy uh, considering the competition again, but they became very conservative. Sooner or later, you got to believe Michigan's going to go out all four quarters us- utilizing these receivers. 
just really felt like they took their foot off the, gra the gas. I was not happy with Shea. I think the shots downfield were there early with the play calling. Um, I think Shea just hasn't always been able, for the most part, hasn't been able to find a lot of the open receivers. Right. Um, I know I, he, he had that 50-yarder to Collins on the second drive. Yeah. Like third I th drive. I think that was that was where a big chunk of his yardage came from. I think it was a 47 Right, that was yard. almost a third of his yards. Yeah. yeah. 147 on the day. My job is to coach these guys. Here's Patterson stepping up in the pocket. Going deep for Nico Collins. And he's got him. Inside the 20. A 51-yard game. I really like him in design rollouts. Like he had that pick, though, and then it was like, no. Yeah. Uh, once he got picked, the coaches really seemed to force him to stay in the pocket. I think they were very – I think the staff or Harbaugh were happy that they were up early at home against Iowa, who is very efficient on offense but not necessarily dynamic and has a very good defense. And I think Michigan was just playing bend but don't bust, and they wanted to keep that lead, and they just – Really went ultra conservative. Yeah, because the first <laughs> the first uh, twenty twenty five minutes of the game they weren't right. Yeah, I thought they were throwing it on their first series and second series uh, or third series. I keep forgetting that they had like a three and out, and then they recovered the fumble at like the thirty and mm -hmm. got a field goal out of it. But Graham Couch does a lot on one of his podcasts. I think it's called Couch in the Roof. To give him credit, you know, Michigan State fans, they don't care if you go deep and it's an incomplete pass. They just want you to go deep every now and then. And I feel like that's the same thing for Michigan fans yes. now. Like, if you if it's an incomplete pass, it's an incomplete pass. Live with it. But it's just the not even testing the defense, not even trying it. That's the most frustrating thing. Because obviously you're not going to hit on all of those passes. On Twitter, sometimes you'll see, like, Big Ten football is stupid. And it's because <laughs> these collective fan bases, whether it's Michigan State getting mad at their coaches or Michigan getting mad at their coaches, it's not necessarily unique to just our fan bases. Northwestern, you know, they've really fallen off this year. Pat Fitzgerald's getting some complaints from their fans on the other side of the sideline. And he For years, Kirk Ferentz has been getting <laughs> it from Iowa. They want him fired uh, until he kind of had that bounce back 2015 right. season. And Pat Fitzgerald, hashtag don't care. Yeah. <laughs> what he said about Yes. And, and also, uh, I think he thinks all of the ills of college football comes to these young whippersnappers being on their phone, mm -hmm. including my parents that are in their 50s who <laughs> even check their phone during the game. Um, right. But I, I understand the frustration on Michigan's part for the offense. I tried to be nuanced about it and look at the how and the why and bring up the positives and the negatives. But um, they have a problem this year. We're five games in. And I was really hope. I, I think if they would have scored a few more times, you would have been happy. Yeah. I do think it's not easy against Iowa. But I also have looked at Shea Patterson's QBRs. And those same, like, last week it was just against Rutgers. Well, that's the outlier. If you look at his QBR in all five games, the one game he really had a great, a very good QBR was against Rutgers. Right. And this wasn't even a game where turnovers were plaguing Michigan, like in the Army game. 
Mm-hmm. There was just the one turnover, the interception thrown by Patterson. So it's, it's one. It's almost like less encouraging that you didn't score as much and didn't turn the ball over. Like if you don't, if you win ten to three, but you turn the ball over like two or three times, you're like, well, we couldn't hold on to the ball, but we still found a way to win. So in defense, if you win the turnover battle, you win the game. And they won the turnover. Yeah, battle. the defense was producing turnovers against a team that doesn't make a lot. Yep. That's something we hit on a lot on our last If Michigan had looked dynamic and against Middle Tennessee State, if they had looked dynamic against Army, Army, their defense isn't what gets you. It's the triple option. Time of possession. possession If they had shown more spark against Wisconsin, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. Maybe we'd say the coaches made the right decision. They beat a ranked team. They beat a team that looked good coming into this game. I had them as a second-tier Big Ten team, second-best team in the West, probably fourth-best team in the Big Ten, number 14th nationally. But it's the fact that you know – I think Michigan fans sense down the line they're not going to be able to beat some teams this way, and they don't want (laughs) those losses. They would rather go down punching and throwing those deep balls then lose this way to the big boys. And not to get too far down the road, but Notre Dame has a fairly electric offense. Penn State has an electric offense. And we know what Ohio State we can do. We know exactly what Ohio State is. Michigan State doesn't have that offense, but their defense, there's still something to be said for Michigan State's defense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, on the but, flip side, yeah, I, I, <laughs> props to Down Brown because the defense had an incredible game. I love the play calling. He had had a rough few weeks this year, a uh, few games this year, and going back into the la- latter part of last year. Yeah. Um, Michigan held Iowa to one net rushing yard. That's crazy. They garnered 12 tackles for a loss, eight total sacks. A couple of fan favorites had good follow-up games. Daxton Hill still showing that closing speed and pop. He's so fast, but grown. If you want to get nitpicky, he had a couple misreads that probably most fans didn't even mm-hmm. notice. But he's he's the backup Mike anyways. He's not the <laughs> <laughs> But uh he overall he had a good follow-up effort and he actually had a good game. Quiddy Pay followed up his uh Rutgers performance with, in which he had 3.5 tackles for a loss, which was more than Rutgers, <laughs> with 2.5 sacks and three total tackles. And then his backup, uh who's the central Michigan guy? like Hannah or something like that. Mm. Had a couple sacks. and Maybe he had a sack like right after Cordy Pay came out as well. Michigan creates some incredible turnovers. Metellus with a great pick. Stanley delivers to the sideline. And picked off by the Wolverines. Josh Metellus. First turnover. We've been critical of uh, Jordan Glasgow. He, after... Uh, Having a pretty good game against Middle Tennessee State, he fell off. Sometimes that was because Don Brown put him in a defensive tackle at a goal line stance. But (laughs) he bounced back. He had five tackles and two sacks. Now, uh, there was no, not one catch for Oliver Martin. They did target him that one time, at least I know. I didn't look at total targets. I thought that would be a little bit of a I don't know total targets. I know he got one pass thrown his way in the end zone. But the defense was... Playing well. It wasn't they were. Iowa just not being – well, they, they – Iowa were, moved the ball. They, like, they pretty consistently got into Michigan's 
It was kind of weird because you wouldn't expect them to have as many third down conversions as they did. Yeah. But you also want to expect Michigan to wake up at the 30 or 25 yard line. Right. And Stanley still finished with 260 passing yards. It kind of reminded me of the Patriots defense where they'll give up some yards, but then they'll hold you to attempt a field goal or they'll force a turnover or a fourth down stop, something like that. Uh huh. I actually would have expected him to have more yards because it felt like he had a lot of attempts. Yeah. I don't I believe know. it was 42 attempts. Yeah, which you'll take that. <laughs> right. If someone yeah. throws it 42 times and you give up 260 yards, especially with a player coming in like him, because uh, it's important to remember just how good Nate Stanley looked coming into this game. I think if you told Kirk Ferentz before the game that they were going to attempt – 42 passes he would have, <laughs> and not going to overtime. Yeah, he, he wouldn't have wanted to uh, get off the bus. According to BTN, under Kirk Ferentz, I was 61-1 and one when the opposing team scores 10 points or less. <laughs> and you know who was the one. Today was, was yes, yeah. Today was Iowa's fewest points in a regular season game since 2011. <laughs> I'm not going to take anything away from Michigan in this game. Because Joel Klatt, I'm not going to say this game defines the Harbaugh tenure, but if they had lost this game, I think it would have it would have it would have turned a lot more fans off off. They, and there are still some fans out there that are like complaining. Obviously, nothing's perfect. To to, but, to a point, I, I agree with a lot of the fans. Though there's been times where I haven't, mm-hmm. but. It's still I, I want to leave. I want to leave that part until next uh, segment. But yeah. it just feels like we aren't going to be able. Michigan isn't going to be able to hang with some of the big boys still. And if you you know the defense isn't going to be this good every game because no defense is this good every game, right? Um, because they, I, I, I give no. There's no. Uh, there's no nuanced opinion of yeah, but with that performance, they just, they played out of their minds. There's very few cracks in any kind of armor there. Iowa is efficient, even if they aren't explosive, but with that offensive performance, it's like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) And, and projecting forward, which I don't want to do too much, uh, but that's the fans, Uh, the MGO blogs, uh, head writer, who is not afraid to call Michigan fans stupid, or at least mm-hmm. a segment of them. <laughs> He's been known to do that from time to time, and I agree with him. He kind of got after the writers who are just looking as observers. right? At least they should be, and a lot of them you can tell are. They're like, be happy with the win. You're not going to get a complete game out of a team, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Michigan, there's a segment of the fan base that's smart enough to know that this performance isn't going to translate to other games. Right. And there's a sense of dread with that. There are some fans who will just never be happy. Right. Regardless of what happens, unless it's a 20-point win against them. I remember when Ohio State lost to Clemson, there was, I want to say in the Cleveland Plain Dealer, maybe Cleveland.com, there was an editorial writer that said the honeymoon was over with Urban Meyer, (laughs) who had an incredible record at that point. That kind of epitomizes that sort of never happy. Yep. Uh, Drew Sharp, uh, 
the guy who's dead, and he deserves it. <laughs> but he's a notorious troll. He uh, he was known for having terrible takes on the local teams, and uh, in addition to actually uh, stealing some of David Harn's work, but um, he he always found a way to turn a positive into a negative. Whether it was the Tigers, Lions, Pistons, Red Wings, or the local college teams, yeah, he, he had a lot. I think he, he he had something to do with some of Izzo's gray hairs. Yeah, he 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 did more to unite Michigan Michigan State fans than I think Ohio State could ever do, <laughs> which is quite accomplished. But those like those there, are some yeah those there are that, some fans who you know whenever Michigan State loses a basketball game in December are like oh Izzo can't coach anymore, and that's I'm not tooting our horn as like state basketball fans too much, but I feel like Michigan State basketball fans and Izzo have a pretty fair understanding of each other. So, and there's still a pretty decent sized portion of Michigan state basketball fans who will criticize, who will, you know, bring out the pitchforks. It was after kind of becoming loss. a pattern with beeline to yeah. Michigan where you knew the team would get better as the year went on. It was just the type of team they had, but those never acceptable. Those that bring up it's year eight, it's year four, it's year six, which totally you, a program doesn't become good in year three and never have never a bad season right. again. I remember in year four at Alabama, Nick Saban had a four-loss team. Bob Stoops, one of his last years, five-loss team. In the 80s, Bo had a five-loss team when Harbaugh got injured. Like That's just college sports. You're going to have right. a down year. A few years ago, Michigan State probably had its worst season and one Since of Izzo's worst seasons ever in uh, – Oh, basketball. Yeah. Yeah, and, and basketball. Oh, and football. That's another yep. great example. It just happens the, with recruiting the way it is and transfers. You know, you don't get to hold on to a Tom Brady for 20 years like right. in the NFL or, you know, a Dirk Nowitzki for 30 years as the Mavericks had. <laughs> there's player mobility, there's peaks and valleys. And right. that segment of the fan base that's just angry man in Canton that calls in the sports talk radio or logs on the Twitter. <laughs> it's the worst part of sport. It's yeah. the worst part of sports fans. It just he just represent represents something. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of to sum up this game, it was the inverse of your opinion last week, where you were very happy with Michigan's Michigan State's uh, offense, uh-huh. yep. and you were underwhelmed by their defense. That's kind of how I felt. Except I was very happy with Michigan's offense or defense, and I wasn't very happy with their offense. Easy, See, easy for me to say. During the 2017 season, where Michigan State won 10 games, they had a lot of games like that. They had a 17 to 10 win over Iowa, 14 to 10 win over Michigan. Uh, 17 to nine win over Indiana. Um, I think of a uh, 17 to seven win over Maryland. Like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that, but you know, we're, yeah, I know exactly what how that feels. You, did you never like totally feel comfortable heading into next week? Yeah, yeah. Or like looking down the road at, at your next opponent, you're like, ooh, I don't know how we're gonna hang with this team. Like. Mm-hmm. But, I just, but that's how I felt when Michigan State was gonna play Penn State. I was like, I don't know. Like, we, Michigan State's been winning these tight, low-scoring games, and Penn State's got Trace McSorley and Deshaun Hamilton, Saquon Barkley, Mike Kosicki, and it, albeit it was a weird game, Michigan State ended up beating Penn State that that year. 
I don't as as much criticism as the offense deserves, and like I said, it's not all play calling. Right. A lot of it's on Patterson too, and I'm going to get into that in the next segment. I don't want Michigan to fall into the trap of if Michigan wins today. I was not a very good team, even though we built them up all week, and there yeah. was doom and gloom, and this is going to define the Harbaugh era. Era, and then if Michigan um, lose, if Michigan loses, then Michigan can't win a big game and uh Iowa is a is considered a big game you I know I consider this a big win yeah a win in a big game because even though I'm not completely there just because of how the offense looks it's like I I knew who Iowa was right and maybe winning at home isn't as impressive but it definitely like I I don't have the feeling that Michigan's gonna end up in the Motor City Bowl the Pizza Pizza Bowl <laughs> like I still think and to look ahead, I think there's still a chance of the Outback Bowl, but yeah, I think Michigan and Michigan State are in similar positions right now. I think either team could end up between nine and eleven wins, and we should get into that on the flip side. Who is Paul Bunyan? American folklore tells the story of Paul Bunyan, a lumberjack of enormous size and strength, who, along with his blue ox babe carved the American countryside, creating many of its landscapes and natural wonders. The major logging state of Michigan has its own battle of men of enormous size and strength as the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan State Spartans square off in an annual showdown on the college football gridiron. They play for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, a fitting prize for this historic Big Ten showdown. This is Sparta! This is where we normally look ahead to the games coming up next week and go around the Big Ten a little bit. I I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that the team that impressed me the most was Ohio State. Yes. Wisconsin had a good week, too. Yeah. Uh, their third shutout of the year, I believe, against Kent State. And then Penn State really took it to Purdue, but Purdue was playing without Elijah Sindelar, without Rondale Moore. Which I didn't realize until you just told me. I didn't watch any of that game. I know uh, Northwestern Nebraska was a tight one. I kind of feel bad. That's a weird rivalry, but I usually cheer for Northwestern. The fans in that that rivalry are fighting over the NU. Who gets to call themselves NU? (laughs) That's a real thing on Twitter. Which, I mean, Northwestern, after playing Wisconsin hard last week and not giving up, you kind of feel like their season's kind of... Yeah, at this point, what are, they're like one in four or five now. And you and you, that Stanford, you know, hasn't done very well since they beat them. But then Stanford out of nowhere beat Washington last night. Right. <laughs> College well, football is a crazy sport. It is, and that's why transitive properties aren't. It's you know, cool. yeah. But yeah, so Michigan State's heading to Wisconsin. Michigan's playing Illinois. There are some storylines for the both of them. Uh, for Michigan State. How do you respond physically? Are you the players going to be ready to take on Wisconsin? I really, the bye weeks have always screwed Michigan State in the past like three years. Like they had a week two bye week and then two straight week three bye weeks. And then this year, it, they play Wisconsin, then they have a bye week, then they play Penn State, then they have another bye week. And I wish that first bye week came this Saturday. And then they played Wisconsin. Because I think Michigan State can match up with Wisconsin and hang with the Badgers. 
maybe not win, but they could be in position to win. But, again, that depends because late in the fourth quarter on Saturday night, Joe Bocci was still playing. Mike Ponishuk was still playing. Jacob Ponishuk got carted off the field. I haven't heard too much on that. Lewerke was still getting hit. So, it de- I don't know what kind of week of practice Michigan State's going to have. It's going to be one of those weeks of practices where it's like, we had too many mistakes. We got to run, run it again. Or is it going to be a week? have a chance to make everybody forget about last week and beat a top 10 team on the road potentially. Can Michigan State slow down Wisconsin's offense the way Northwestern was able to at times? Can they? Yes. Yes. Will they? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I think Wisconsin does not have the athletes that Ohio State has. Uh, Quintez Cephas does give me a little – Bit of concern. Going into the season, uh, there was talks that this could be Mark D'Antonio's best defense ever, but the 2013 defense had two first-round picks at cornerback. And I love Josiah Scott, but he's a second-round pick at best. And there's no other NFL player currently in the secondary. Yeah, talks of Michigan State's defense has definitely cooled the last couple weeks. Right. And, you know, on paper it looked like it was going to be a great defense. I never thought they would be the 2013 team because that was just a I thought they were ridiculous. a top 10 defense earlier in the year. I still think they could finish I, in the top five or top 10. I think they're tough. I don't know if I put them top 10 now, but. They could finish in the top 10. They could. Uh, the spread is 10 in some places as high as 16, and it's at Wisconsin, correct? It is at Wisconsin, and Wisconsin got to play Kent State. I'm, I'm impressed by Wisconsin because they've shut out all their non-conference opponents. But you mentioned the Northwestern game. They did have some struggles with Northwestern moving the ball and scoring. They got two defensive touchdowns in that game. I think I say this every single week, but the turnover battle is going to be huge. That's what killed Michigan against Wisconsin. Right. It definitely played a part in it, yeah. And limiting the chunk plays, because Ohio State killed Michigan State with, like, 40-yard gains, you know, 20-yard runs, a 60-yard touchdown. If they can keep Wisconsin to a minimum of those and really just get back to the basics, they tried to make too many things happen. Like, Michigan State missed a lot of tackles on Saturday night, and I think part of that was trying to punch the ball out or trying to – make something happen that wasn't there against Wisconsin is uh, you just got to get back to the basics. I think they can be in a position where late in the game, you know, they have the lead or they're down by four or it's a, it's a one score game. It was, it was interesting that once Wisconsin got that lead against Northwestern, they kind of did what it kind of snowballed. Well, it's kind of like, well, early it did snowball late, but for the longest time they had that lead. And they just play conservative. It was kind of like Michigan versus Iowa. I think Michigan and Wisconsin are similar in that their style of play, they really want to grab the lead early. Yes. And be able to hang on to it. Michigan's looked so much better since they've been able to score early. Yeah, exactly. last couple weeks. Wisconsin's been able to do that. I think what's interesting about Wisconsin is they don't just win when they're playing these cupcakes like they usually do, they've been beating up on them and getting that big lead early. They don't slowly – 
grind it out, and yeah. they're up seven nothing. What first is it now? One hundred and forty nine to nothing combined against South Florida, Central Michigan, and Kent, Kent State. State. Albeit not the greatest trio of teams you can pick, but still they've been kind of able to have their way. Where traditionally you might see seven nothing after first, seventeen yeah. nothing at half time, and then in the they're second, not just. Game, picking up steam as the game goes on. They're but coming out the gate. Those milk farmer kids by the second half are just pushing right. the, around the inferior team's defensive line and grinding They've out. They've been coming out the gate guns a-blazing. Yes, they look like an elite team, and I think they're a top five, top seven team in the country. Aside from Saturday night when they fumbled on the second play, Michigan State's moved the ball consistently on their first drive of the game. I'd be interested to see... If Michigan State wins the toss, do they put the defense on the field first or do they take the ball and try to get the lead early like they did against Northwestern and Indiana? You know, get the points and then see, make the other team react to you. What would you like them to do? Personally, in this type of game, I don't know what the weather's going to be like. I would take the ball first. Do you think there's something to be said, though, if they. Stop Jonathan Taylor and company and kind of... Well, they, they stopped J.K. Dobbins and company on Saturday. Yeah, but if you don't start. fumble in the situation, you know. <laughs> either way, you can't fumble, you know. Right. And, and then you get, like... That was the only time I really kind of thought Michigan State had a chance was that first quarter. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you get your defense kind of dictating early, maybe it takes pressure off the offense, too, that I mean, way. Yeah, there's something to be said for either a... Or B. forcing a three and out, or B getting a touchdown. I mean, hey, I'll, I will be thrilled with either. <laughs> but personally, I, I brought it up. Like Ohio, the Ohio State game was the first time Michigan State didn't get the ball to start the game. Um, I what I think will happen is if they win the toss, they will take the ball first. Okay, you feel like that's where they're going this week? I think so. And what, what's your prediction for the game? For the game? Yeah. I don't hate me. Don't call me biased or anything. I think Wisconsin 23, Michigan State 24. I'm trying to bring up uh, the weather, and I just can't find it anywhere. <laughs> you said Michigan State 24-23. Okay. I like Wisconsin. Thir- Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> I like Wisconsin. Get the headgear ready. Yeah. <laughs> what does he usually wear for a Badger? Does he put headgear He, he has, like, the mascot head. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know if it was that or if it was like a claw. Uh, <laughs> I, I does that for the Wolverine. He does. Yeah. He does. I like uh, Wisconsin 34-21. That's, how, that's the pick I had for the Ohio State game last week. <laughs> and who did you have? Ohio, oh, State, Ohio State, State winning. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm just really I'm really impressed by Wisconsin. I, you kind of had some doubters after uh, the Northwestern game, and I was just – I don't know. It kind of seemed more like the aberration rather than the rule. The rule yeah. Yeah. It seemed like the exception rather than the rule. I guess that's more. I, I, I just think Jonathan Taylor is going to be the best player on the team. Uh, I had a little bit pit in my stomach when I was a Michigan fan going into this game. And uh, I, I kind of think I might have it too if I was a Spartan fan. Um, how, how are the defensive tackles going to feel after the Ohio State game? Are they beaten and battered and bruised, or are they hungrier now? Because Michigan State was actually getting into the backfield against Ohio State, and I think Ohio State's offensive line is one of the best in the mm-hmm. in the conference. 
Um, they really beat up on Michigan's defensive tackles, whereas Michigan against Iowa, Michigan won those battles, which was shocking. Right. And probably something I should have touched on. There was a lot of praise to go around on the defense. Was, yeah. And, and uh, I think a lot of that was schematically from Don Brown. You know, he's not afraid to think outside the box. You put Jordan Glasgow there, stupid mistake. I, yeah. So I, I would be worried about Michigan if, State's defensive tackle. I would because breaking that's where, down as the game goes on, they got to get a good rotation in there. Get Naquan Jones, Jacob Slade, because that's where Jonathan Mallory. Taylor's going to go. Is right up right. the middle. And Mike Ponishuk and Raquan Williams can hold their own for sure. But yeah, it does make me nervous if they're up to the task. Paul Chris is super conservative. Usually, he likes to run. Uh, unless it's against Michigan in 2018 for some reason. <laughs> but, you know, he eats steak, just like a lot of the conservative uh, Big Ten coaches. And uh, along with Jim Harbaugh, he likes milk steak because, you know, he's in, he's in Wisconsin. Him, Charlie from It's Always Sunny, and uh, Jim Harbaugh, they all like milk and steak. Uh, <laughs> it's not the worst combo. <laughs> I wonder if Paul Chris drinks out of a champagne glass at Ruth Chris Steakhouse <laughs> like Arbaugh. But anyway, I don't think he's going to be discouraged if Michigan if Michigan State shuts down uh, the run game early. If you watch Wisconsin, a lot of times he just he right. he likes to run and he'll keep running and he will be stubborn about it. Well, let's just say. And Wisconsin has a pretty good defense, too. Yeah, Wisconsin's defense is pretty good. Um, Top five in the Big Ten, I would say. If Michigan State can take away Jonathan Taylor, let's just say it happens for the first half, and Wisconsin does go to Jack Cohn, I don't think Jack Cohn and Wisconsin's passing attack can beat Michigan State. They've looked better than I expected. I'm not totally sold on them, but I have to say they've – you know, in the off season, I, I was thinking Iowa was going to win the West, and I kind of pushed uh, Wisconsin down with everybody else on that side. But uh, quarterback was a big reason they lost their they lost Hornybrook. And yeah, they, but so far this year, he's played better than expected, and a lot better than expected. I think it would be fair to say he's he's a fine quarterback, definitely. I just think he, he benefits a lot from having the rushing attack that they have. And running the ball, if Michigan State's healthy, in your eyes, would be playing in the Michigan State's hands? Yes. Because you, Michigan State's defensive strength is their run defense. In the front seven. And then their weakness is Their weakness pass. is the secondary. Okay. Um, and then offense-wise, I think Michigan State is at their best when they're getting to the edges. And Lewerke's getting to the outside, or he's – getting Stewart downfield or Matt Cyber has been really great at getting open at the tight end position. And he's had a good year. Yeah. And not just getting open, but like finding the sticks. Lewerke's had a bounce back here. I'm still not totally sold on Michigan state's running game. Me neither at this point. And I I, I think that's mostly on the offensive line. Okay. Michigan, Wisconsin has a pretty good defensive line. They do. And I, I expected Ohio state's defense to be living in Michigan State's backfield all night. And for the most part, through three quarters, that wasn't really the case. It seemed like after they got the lead, though, they were playing a little bit bed, but don't break Ohio Ohio State State. once they were up by a couple scores. Right, like in the second half, yeah. Yeah, but they they, have to get into Ohio State again. 
But that's one of the reasons they're better this year. The defense looks way better. Yeah, the defense was a liability last year. Who was there? Was it Chris Ash that was their defensive coordinator a few years back? I believe he was the coordinator in 2000. I know he was on staff. But I want to say he was defensive coordinator in 2015 and then took the Rutgers job. And Giciano came in in 2016. And once he took over, I was not as impressed with Ohio State's defense. Yeah, I believe, yeah, Ohio State had Tom Herman and Chris Ash as their coordinators. And then Tom Herman left in 2014 and Ed Warner became Mm -hmm. offensive coordinator. And then after the 2016 season, they brought in Kevin Wilson from Indiana. I think he's he's still on the staff. Yeah. All right, moving forward. Uh, Do you have any closing thoughts on this game? Nope. You said 30... 24-23. 24-23. I have Wisconsin 34-21. Now, if you follow Twitter, Michigan has a lot of rivalries. Rutgers (laughs) is a rivalry. (laughs) Minnesota... football, man, every week is a rivalry. Yeah, exactly. Minnesota still thinks it's 1960, and Michigan, Minnesota is a big rivalry. Well, Illinois is another fan base. It's kind of like me with Michigan State basketball. Like, oh, this team beat us in March Madness 12 years ago. I hate this team. They're yeah. a rival. <laughs> That's how I feel. And since I was born, I'm not even cherry picking. Because I could go back in the 70s and it gets uglier. Since I was born, Michigan is 19-4-1 against Illinois. Two of those wins by Illinois were 08 and 09. Against Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. Those I, I think I might have put a slight soft S on there. Illinois. I know how to I know how to say <laughs> it. And uh if they had played every year, because that's uh they, twenty-four uh times they played, I'm thirty-three years old. Like it could have it could be even worse. worse. Yeah. I know Brandon Peters got banged up uh in Illinois game against Minnesota, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, from what I've heard, though, I don't think there's been an official announcement. He's expected to play. By the way, saying Illinois game, I think I'm saying it right. Yeah. Do you put the S the on there? It'd, like, <laughs> it'd be like saying Michigan's game, Illinois game. Right, right. The, the, the S game comes in which in. Illinois played. <laughs> Michigan is opening at a 19 point favorite. And I'm going to Odd Shark, and they have Michigan winning by. 40 to 18, if I'm rounding up. So they have them as a 22-point favorite. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting seeing Brandon, if Brian Peters plays. Uh, just I, That's I, the second uh, former Wolverine now that Michigan will be facing. Yeah, Oliver Martin shut out. <laughs> shut out yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, I expect them to win 35 to 10. I, I think the score matters less. I really am now – in the camp that I want to see a backup quarterback, quarterback Michigan. I was going to ask you about when it's time to move on from the Shea train. I'm not sure if it's uh, Dylan McCaffrey, if it's Joe Milton, or if we should just cross the field, grab Brandon Peters, put him in some Michigan gear, <laughs> and trout him out there. Um, I think Brandon Peters is a decent quarterback. He's been having a, I've watched some Illinois, and it seems like – Offense is not their issue, and he's at. They have a good running back in Reggie Corbin as well. It's kind of like when he was year, here when when he was in Ann Arbor and he was young. He could he do some things well, but I, I just I feel like the ceiling was capped. He was mission. He was Harbaugh's first QB recruit, and I think he couldn't necessarily get his pick of the litter at that point. Yeah, and uh, 
But, I mean, he was a decent four-star. But going back, I just I, – I, I think Shea, you know, besides some of these games against Cupcakes, he hasn't consistently played well. If you break it down game by game, he really gets a bulk of his stats versus Rutgers versus, yeah. you know, and then against, um, you know, whatever team, the bottom of the barrel. And then in big games, a lot of times the defense and the running backs bail him out, whether it was Higdon, the defense last year, if it was the defense against Iowa, et cetera, et cetera. And Milton, I know it was against Rutgers, but he looked really good. And it was against Ohio State's second string, but he moved the ball pretty well. I believe he had a couple touchdown drives at the end. I mean, garbage time, but still. 2018? Yeah, last year in Columbus, he had a couple. He had at least one touchdown drive. And I don't think you've seen anything definitive from Dylan McCaffrey. I've been on the, like, I've been kind of pushing back towards some that have been craving him. Yeah. Or pushing pushing for him. Yeah. but it would be interesting to see. He definitely brings something on the feet. I don't know if he's healthy yet. Right. That's another aspect of it. But going forward, you there's certain games where it's you can pencil on them in for losses. So why not try something now? If the where the worst thing where the worst the worst, worst thing, thing that happened is, is you still lose. Right. Yeah. The worst scenario is the same. So if you think if Shea Patterson starts, there's no way Michigan beats Notre Dame. No, I wouldn't say that. I just okay. think it's very, very small chance. <laughs> <laughs> if, regardless of who they put out at quarterback, you think there's no chance they beat Ohio State unless they unless they. Have, I will never say no chance. So right, I, I just think it's very small, and I will, I'm not predicting a win in either of those games. Gotcha. Right, it's unfair for me to say no chance. Yeah. You know where I was getting yeah, at. yeah. I, I got what you were saying. I'm just rarely that definitive. Um, I saved that for the hot take, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never definitive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was it? Only a Sith speaks in absolution That's or right. absolutes, which is a absolute. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we're going off the rails. But, I mean, right now you have three games where I think you're a big underdog. You have a Michigan State game where you are at home, but it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And it's probably 50-50. And then uh, am I forgetting any other games that are potentially tough? Speaking of tough Octobers, let's compare right now. Michigan, uh, Very similar Octobers. I'm not saying yeah. one's harder. Michigan has Iowa, Notre Dame, and Penn State. Michigan State has Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn, Penn State. State. Yep. Both teams, like they're October. No wonder they're not playing each other in October right. this year, which is <laughs> usually too much. Yeah, yeah, usually that, it's uh, second or third week of October, sometimes the fourth. I, yeah. I've seen, I think in 2005, it was the first. Yep. So they've, uh, <laughs> they've been all over the place. Traditionally, Michigan has Notre Dame in the, or some other big time team in September. Michigan State, October, Ohio State, November. That's, Kind of helps all, all over the place, but yeah, I mean, both for both teams, you're gonna have a lot better idea of where your team is at the end of the month than at the beginning. It's weird being this far into the season and still being over a month away from the Michigan State Michigan game. <laughs> that's that's weird to me. Speaking of both teams, when I was out to brunch this morning, I had at a table over. I had a Michigan and Michigan State fans sitting across the table. And they were talking football. They 
they were a little bit older than me and kind of folksy and carrying their uh, <laughs> takes yeah. on last night's game were funny, but they they both kind of agreed that seeing both squads going eight and four would not be crazy and kind of the likely outcome. And I couldn't necessarily argue. I'm not saying they definitely no. will, but you know, just based on where all the other teams in conference are, I think for Michigan and Michigan state, this is a year more like 2005 where they both, I think Michigan won seven games and Michigan state won five. It's not going to be that bad, but I'm just saying oh, yeah. comparatively wise. Um, it's not going to be like the 2015 game where both well, teams well, won well, double digits. 2012, where was Michigan State 7-6? Yeah, Michigan State finished with seven wins. Michigan finished 8-5. Eight. Yep. Yeah. But uh, even if you upset a team looking forward, there's nothing to say you don't lose against someone you're not supposed to. Right. And 8-4, uh, and four, imagine if Michigan State loses this week. They'll be 4-3. and three. Right, right. That'll leave very eight and four would mean you win four of your last five. Yep. But I think things get somewhat easier after this week. You have Penn State, Michigan, and that's about it. I believe it goes bye week, Penn State, bye week again for some reason. Uh, Illinois, Michigan, then your Maryland and Rutgers. Okay. At least you get those two on the back end. (laughs) Rutgers and Maryland. I don't know who Uh, we end the season with, but yeah. I mean, Maryland does have a pulse, but they're not anything great. <laughs> I wish, yeah, I wish Rutgers was sprinkled in here and Wisconsin on the back end. Yeah, that would be nice. I wish Michigan wouldn't schedule Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I'm well, like, if, if you're going to play Notre Dame, it's got to be first two or three weeks of the season. Yeah, and the last time they played them uh, before the restart last year, it was at Notre Dame. And then when they restart the series. That happened with Michigan State, too. They played at Notre Dame in 2013, didn't play in 14 or 15, then at Notre Dame again in 16. Yeah, those those shady uh, Notre Dame right. uh, game for the Paul Bunyan Trophy. A lot of times it kind of has a strong bearing on where each team goes. Of course, there's been times 2011 Michigan lost, but they that, that team still had drive and they finished strong. But a lot of times, if you see one team kind of sputter, it's because they lose that game. Yep. Um, Mark D'Antonio. But I just wanted to say this year, I think you're already going to know where you're at. Right. So it's going to be a unique game. You only have two games afterwards. Right. That's weird to me. And Mark D'Antonio, I believe like six of his wins against Michigan came against the Michigan team that was either undefeated or had one loss. John L. Smith, I think his record before and after the Michigan game. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of felt like until D'Antonio got there, in between Saban and D'Antonio, uh, if Michigan beat Michigan State, like Michigan State's football season went to hell. Yep. That's fair. And even if Michigan State did beat Michigan, it's still find a way <laughs> they did, they to did go. find a way to kind of <laughs> John L. Smith never beat Michigan. Never beat right? Michigan. Bobby Williams once. beat them once. The teacher two thousand one. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> we're just yeah. two old guys here talking about college football <laughs> getting, history. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've kind of gone off the rails. I think we have. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is there any um, last thoughts you'd like to? I expect Michigan to win pretty handily, and um, upcoming uh, later. We'll have a special basketball episode that I'm really excited about. I was about. just going to get to that. We're going to be recording that later later this week. We wanted to do it this week, but I know we uh, 
we had a lot to get had a lot to get to, and it'll be nice to have its own special episode. And if there was anything we didn't touch on that you want us to, at Paul Bunyan Pod uh, on Twitter, Facebook, the Paul Bunyan Podcast, the Paul Bunyan Podcast at gmail.com. You could reach Joe on Twitter at Joe is Captain. You can reach me at Mike from Ann Arbor, and I am also Iron Man, and I am also Zach Sawyer. <laughs> but until later this week when we'll be talking basketball, until then, thanks for listening to the Paul Bunyan Podcast.